0: here we are we're we're in the final season of our construction project we're less than 30 days away now from being in that building and what a remarkable venture it has been and i'm excited about how it's going to finish and it's going to finish strongly and i'm grateful for so many of you who have been through this journey a long journey together and uh, here we are at the conclusion of it I want to go back to the Old Testament today, Kevin mentioned 2 Kings, let's go back there. There's a story of a God named Jehoash who is identified there in 2 Kings chapter 11 and 12, and also 2 Chronicles chapter 23 and 24. Now there's some alternate spellings to his name, one is Jehoash, which is found in 2 Kings, and Joash, which is found in 2 Chronicles. They are the same person. It reminds me, uh, one time Kay and I were checking in on our youngest son Graham at his school, and uh, Kay was kind of mingling around and noticed that all of the way that Graham's name had been written in his classroom was wrong. That it's G R A H A M, but in that particular time, in that particular class, it was G R A M. And Kay. Uh, made a suggestion to the teacher that uh, his name ought to be spelled correctly and she said oh no his name is spelled correctly as he wants it to be it seems that he in his younger days decided that g-r-a-h-a-m was a little too cumbersome to write so he decided to knock the h off and just g-r-a-a-m uh Joash much have had a similar experience when he was growing up because his name is Jehoash or Joash depending on what grade he happened to be in in elementary school. But anyway uh, it's a fascinating uh, account of his life and I'm excited to share a little bit about that today. Next week I'm really excited as well to teach because I'm going to give you the backstory. In fact, the Lord and I were in prayer uh, this past week, and I kept saying, Lord, but I really want to share the backstory this week. Uh, but uh, we sort of got that worked out. He said, no, next week. So uh, I think we'll stay on track. And next week, I want to talk to you about the backstory, which is just fascinating because it includes the prominent rule of a very evil woman who is the queen mother. And uh, her name is Ahaziah, and she's just... Uh, just Uh, sorry Athaliah Uh, she is just absolutely wicked she is the daughter to Jezebel now we all know Jezebel is wicked right when you when you've got somebody that's a female in your life and you say she's just Jezebel everybody knows what kind of person that is well this is her daughter and she is very similar to her mother Uh, if you remember Jezebel is the queen if you will for the northern kingdom of Israel she's the wife to the husband uh, Ahaz and They have a daughter and the daughter enters into a political marriage uh, there among the southern region and uh, in Judah. And she is just as evil as her mother. Her mother really swayed a lot of people uh, to be in the northern kingdom to embrace the worship of Baal, a very false god, a very idolatrous way of life. And, and uh, her daughter brought that into Judah as well. But we'll talk about that backstory next week because it's an amazing story of God just being true to his covenant, true to fulfill what he said he was gonna fulfill, even at a time when the Davidic line was almost extinct. In fact, everybody thought that it was over with, uh, everybody that is but God and a couple of people uh, that had brought in some rescue. So we'll talk about that heroic person next week but today we're focusing in on one of jehoash's great decisions which magnificently transformed the worship that was taking place in jerusalem specifically at the temple which brought god great glory and honor and it brought a a sense of restored hope uh, at least to the kingdom there at judah now first and second kings is a narrative if you remember that follows the line the davidic line of kings after David has died and it's really a grand account of both the northern and the southern kingdoms now let's just trail back and think historically for a moment God had used David to bring the 12 tribes together to be one kingdom and that one kingdom under David's rule is the kingdom known as Israel it's it's the the same people group that is the country Israel today but after david's death and his son solomon took over remember solomon was one who was not inclined with the heart of god like his father david in fact he was a very sinful man very driven in the lust of the world and in his flesh and uh, really didn't raise his sons to be given to god as well so the second generation following david things really come unhinged and both uh, both uh, well the one kingdom that was now with with the 12 tribes divides into two Uh, And it really was rooted in the sinfulness of the descendants of David. And remember, the kingdom is divided in two. There's a northern kingdom which keeps the name Israel, and it has the ten tribes in it. And then you have a southern kingdom called Judah, which is primarily the tribe of Judah and the very small tribe called Benjamin. And those two form the southern kingdom. So you have another king, uh, a northern kingdom, Israel, and a southern kingdom which is Judah. And uh, both of them are to be pursuing God. Now, First and Second Kings is an accounting of those kingdoms. And uh, the, the accounting really singles in on the leadership, the kings that lead the kingdoms. So there's 20 kings to the north, the kingdom of Israel, and there's 20 kings to the south, the kingdom of Judah, and... And those 20 kings in the story of of kings just kind of have an ebb and flow. Sometimes kings talks about the northern kingdom's kings. Sometimes it flows into the southern kingdom's kings. And they're just kind of accounting the story, the narrative of what should have been a Davidic line of holy men leading people unto God. Because God says, I'm the Lord your God and you will worship me and you'll worship me only and that was the role of king to lead the people so that they would be worshipers of god but in the northern kingdom there's not a single king among the 20 that have ever been written about to say and they did what was right inside of god in fact every king in the northern kingdom took people away from god they instituted idolatrous worship in fact very early in the kingdom you have a couple of different places set up for worship Bethel and Dan and you know what the objects of worship were Uh, as if they didn't have this history they make gold calves and place them at Bethel and Dan Dan's all the way to the north and they worship in those ways and they establish high places because it is way more convenient to go to one of the high places than to go down to the southern kingdom where Judah is and where God said that's where I want you to worship But you have these kings that rise up and very evil, and their sons after them are very evil. In the southern kingdom, there are only eight of the 20 that are said to have done what was right in the sight of God. In fact, only five of the eight are said to be of holy people. And so they, too, are leading more than not. They, too, are leading away from the ways of God. Now, Joash happens to be one of those guys who is going to lead people at least temporarily in the way of God if you think about what kings is doing kings is suggesting where the people are in relationship to God and he's evaluating the kings of the kingdoms by saying number one do they themselves worship God and God alone do those kings lead people out of idolatry to worship God And are those kings faithfully committed to the covenant of God? That is, do they follow the covenant and the law of God? And if they don't, Kings declares that. Kings helps us to recognize that they are or they are not. Now, Joash is one of those guys who is going to transform things. And what's ironic about him is that he starts it at the age of seven. (laughs) Can you imagine being the king of a kingdom at the age of seven? But Jehoash is that guy. And I'll tell you about that next week. It's a a really marvelous story. But he is directing the, the kingdom of Judah, but he's getting help from an uncle by marriage, Jehoiada, who's the priest. And as long as Jehoiada is there to help him, then he is going to lead well. He's going to do what's well, what is right in the sight of God and uh, the Baal worship is going to be renounced. All right, So let's go into the first three verses. By the way, the entirety of chapter 11 and into chapter 12 is about him and about his rule. The first three verses are like the summary of that. So if you and I were living our life and we lived it in full and somebody had, say, three sentences or so that they're writing about us, this is what was written about him, Jehoash. In the seventh year of Jehu, who's a northern king, he's he's one of the northern kingdom kings. And as I told you, what kings is doing is just going back and forth from north to south, north to south, giving us insight to the kings and the kingdoms. But in the seventh year of the one who was ruling over Israel, Jehoash began to reign in the southern kingdom, and he reigned for 45 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah Beersheba. And Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all of his days because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken down. The people continued to sacrifice and make offerings on the high places. Now, let's just mention about a few things right here out of these first three verses. Number one, obviously, it's ironic that you could have a king who would begin his kingship at seven years old, and that that rule would reign for 40 years. An amazing feat. Obviously, he has some help, right? You can't can't rule with wisdom at the age of seven. It's also interesting that his mother is mentioned, not much mentioned about her. Zibia is her name, and she's from Beersheba. If you remember in the geography in that region of the Promised Land, Beersheba is one of those places that's in the southern region, and it's in the south of the southern region now Dan is in the northern region it's in Israel and it's all the way to the very top in fact Kay and I've been in that that area and when you look out from Dan you're looking over Syria and to the right you're looking over into the the borders of Lebanon the very big beautiful mountains in that uh, valley in which we were looking and seeing those mountains on the far side but Dan is about as north as you can get Beersheba is about as south as you can get and I think maybe there's an indicator here of what's going on is that here's the king's mother that is in the furthest place where people lived away from where God was not being served and worshiped, living away from the northern kingdom I'm just kind of inferring that but I believe that's the truth and then verse 2 Jehoash did what was right in the side in the uh, eyes of the Lord but now notice there's a little bit of a uh, flag to that and he's talking about Jehoiada here he does what is right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of his life because Jehoiada the priest instructed him now Chronicles actually goes a little deeper into that discussion I'll just mention it uh, I was debating back and forth which one of these texts I wanted to preach out of I settled into Kings but it could have easily done just the same out of Chronicles but here's what he says Here's that uh, second-grade spelling, right? And Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada, the priest. Now, you see what he's saying there? As long as Jehoiada was alive and he was giving the influence to Joash, then things were going well. In fact, at the end of Chronicles, maybe we'll talk about this next week, at the end of Chronicles, when everything is over with, what we're talking about today, at the end of Jehoiada's life, and he dies... Joash circles right back to the idolatry and actually leads all the people to do the same, brings in places of worship where idols would be worshipped. Now, that doesn't mean that Jehoiada's life and his influence was not valuable. I can tell you four decades of godly influence has an impact. Now, it might be that Joash circled back but how many people were influenced of a four decade rule of a king who is influenced by his uncle such that they worship God and God alone and that reminds us that you and I may not have all the things written about us but you and I can have influence on people and we ought to be targeting people specifically people who are young who need good godly wisdom and guidance and discernment and we ought to be investing in young people constantly and the results are up to God it's up to us to be consistent in how we are influencing people unto the lord who do you have in your life that you're influencing that way dads grandfathers you certainly ought to be uh, having great influence moms grandmothers you ought to have great influence but even beyond that Think of the people in your life who you could influence for the way of Christ. Jehoiada certainly believed in that. So although Joash did very good things, he failed to lead the people to genuine revival, which was evident by him not removing the high places. So you go into the first three verses, and it says, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, as long as Jehoiada was leading him, but he did not remove the high places. Now let's think about that and what that means because what God has required before entering the promised land is that he would be worshipped in him alone. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other God before me. Isn't that the first of the, the Decalogue? Sure. The, the first of the commandments is I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And what's the second one? You shall not make for yourself a carved image. But here they are. Having some other God before them and placing the image of some other God before them as well. The Israelites were to worship God and God alone. In fact, God had instructed them before when they went into the promised land, God had instructed them, take down all the high places. So the Canaanites were just really idolatrous and they were they were persistent in false worship and they had high places everywhere where they would worship their various gods and God said to the people of Israel when you go in there number one you're going to destroy them because my judgment is against them and number two you are going to tear down all the high places and all the idol worship places they will be brought down and just decimate the high places I want those brought down and then God said number three I want you to worship where I will call you to worship and my name and my presence will be. And that's the only place that he wanted them to worship. In fact, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, he says that very specifically. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, talking about the ways of the Canaanites where they had high places everywhere, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and to make his habitation there there you shall go so what is he saying even before they go into the promised land there is going to be a place that God will give you among the tribes it will be the place that God will put his name in fact if I showed you an aerial image of the ancient city of of Jerusalem you would see the letter in Hebrew that is Uh, stands for God's name you would see that right there in the aerial uh, satellite imagery and you would say God has his name imprinted in that city and it's not just that his name is imprinted in the city but God's presence was there God chose to make himself manifest there and his glory was there so he wanted them to worship him in one place in the place that he chose the place his presence is but now a number of the people, including a number of their kings, said, oh, let's make this a little bit more convenient. There's no reason if you live in the northern kingdom, say, all the way up there at Dan, there's no reason for you to have to travel all the way down south in a pilgrimage to go to Jerusalem. Well that's way too inconvenient, why don't we just do a high place here? Or there's no reason for you to come all the way over from the Mediterranean and go to Jerusalem, all the way up to the high point of the country. There's no reason to. Let's make it convenient and let's put a high place there. Or the Canaanites already had this high place here. Why don't we just kind of brush it up and make it like us and we'll worship there where they once worshiped? God said, now don't do that. But that's exactly what they were doing. So it helps us to remember that unconfessed and unrepentant sin reveals a lack of surrender to the lordship of jesus christ they should have walked in that place and said we're going to do as god has called us to do and we are going to live our life as god has called us to live our lives and we're not going to fall short of that but instead they started compromising and as they compromised they tethered themselves to sinfulness that they were unwilling to repent of and unwilling to confess and that leaves them very vulnerable to the judgment of god in fact it comes it comes first for israel And then it comes later for Judah because they both pursued that kind of sinfulness. Now, can I just ask you, is there anything in your life, anything in my life, that we are still tethered to, that Christ has died to rid us from? Is there anything in our lives where we say, you know, it's just more convenient this way. It's more enjoyable this way. I like it this way when God said that is not the way I've called you to live I've not called you to think that way I've not called you to speak that way I've not called you to be entertained that way I've not called you to worship that way this is the way God has called us to is there anything that we have yet to walk away from which is what we were singing just a moment ago here's my life Lord here's my heart Lord I don't want to hold anything back I want to give it all to you so as we're beginning to understand this text let me just give you this summary statement building and rebuilding the god-ordained places of worship because that's what jehoash is going to do he is going to help uh, restructure rebuild repair the temple rebuilding or or building the god-ordained place of worship is important but having a heart genuine for worship that is absolutely essential the place is important no doubt but the heart is essential so as you know the church named meadowbrook is what the original language of the new testament calls as the ecclesia which translated very uh, well would be the gathering of the saints our gathering for uh, worship for ministry for fellowship for discipleship for edification it's, it's what the church does We gather together for those things and a whole lot more. Ecclesia, The church is not a building. The church isn't 2525 Rainbow Drive. That doesn't mean that this building is not important to us. It doesn't mean the location is not important to us. What is most important is the gathering of the saints coming together at a place with hearts that are genuine and uh, committed to and surrendered to Christ with other saints who are given in that way. That's what's essential. That, That we are coming together with the right heart, with the right framing. In fact, so essential is it that Hebrews 10 says, you ought to do that and not forsake that. The gathering of the saints, the coming together of the saints, that we might build one another in love and good works. So we're not to neglect the meeting place. That doesn't mean the place isn't important. It's the heart of the people that come to the place that's most important. So here's a summary of that. The place where we meet isn't as important as our meeting together. So we've been meeting in a gym for a long time. It's not the place that's most important. The fact that we are gathering together, that's what's most important, and that we are given to that gathering. For more than a dozen years, we've been in a gymnasium on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday and other times. And we've had some really good experiences in here. We've had some moving experiences in here. And we've had some not so good experiences in here. All the while, we have been looking forward to a day, have we not, that we would be in a new facility, that we would have a place of worship that's designed for worship, designed for proclamation, that, that really gives a visual of what we believe about the excellences of Christ. And that doesn't mean that this hasn't been good, it's been good temporarily. I've got news for you. We're about to move in a fantastic building that's specifically designed for worship and for proclamation, for gathering saints, but it's temporary too. The place is important, but the heart of the people gathering is essential. And we just better not lose that connection. So Jehoash is going to do some great things, and he is going to be able to Uh, remodel that temple he's going to rebuild what is broken and he's going to fix what is broken and it's going to be good and he's going to establish things well but where he missed it from the very start is concentrating on his heart concentrating on the heart of the people and because of that it only lasts for the period of time which his uncle was helping him to see clearly once the uncle was gone because his heart wasn't conditioned in the essential way his heart left the things that were most important and he led the people to do that as well so we want to go into that new building by the way we're less than 30 days there we want to go into that building but we want to go in the building with the right heart we want to go with the genuine heart hearts of worship that are inclined to the things that God is inclined to So on December the 13th, we're going to do that, and it's going to increase the opportunity for us to host many more people in our community. We're going to sing, we're going to minister, we're going to proclaim, but I want us to do it with genuine hearts of worship that are given to God every day of the week, every hour of the day. So by God's grace and the faithfulness of the membership of this church, we will owe no one but God for that facility. costing just over 8.6 million dollars and to god be the glory we're on the projected path to walk into that and to be in that building without debt i'm excited for that dream to be realized and i think you are as well but i'm more eager to get into the facility with hearts that are genuine for worship and genuine unto the surrender of jesus christ if all we're going to do is change the scenery then we're not doing much in fact reforms don't always mean revival. So Jehoash is going to bring reform, but that doesn't mean he's brought revival. Reforms don't always equate to revival. However, I've never seen a revival that's genuine without people embracing reform. So yes, we want reform. Yes, we want the new facility. But what we really want is revival and let that revival Really stirring us, great reforms. If we just change the scenery without changing the heart, then there is no eternal impact to that. So, church, let's yield ourselves to Christ let's surrender our way to him let's pursue him in every way of our living and let's worship seven days a week in the right way so that when we assemble together in the new building and we begin to worship together it will be a wondrous opportunity as we do it to god be the glory but now follow along with me in chapter 12 verse 4 through 8 of second kings Jehoash said to the priest, All the money of the holy things that is brought into the house of the Lord, the money for which each man is assessed, the money from the assessment of persons, and the money that a man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priest take each from his donor, and let them repair the house wherever any need of repairs is discovered. But the 23rd year of king jehoash the priest had made no repairs on the house therefore king jehoash summoned jehoiada the priest and the other priest and said to them why are you not repairing the house now therefore take no more money from your donors but hand it over for the repair of the house so the priest agreed that they should take no more money from the people and that they should not repair the house It doesn't mean the house isn't going to be repaired it's meaning we're going to do this a different way so financial challenges are going to come to churches i don't know of a single church that doesn't have financial challenges from time to time they just come as the people are challenged or as their faith is challenged or the resources are challenged churches experiences they experience financial challenge they may come but the church cannot grow accustomed to a lack of funding and ineffective ministry so just looking for some takeaways as we're talking about a An event that happened many 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 years ago and here's one of them we might have periods of lack of funding but we can't get used to that and we might have some seasons where the ministry is ineffective but we cannot get used to that and we must not get settled in either of those things and what I think is happening there in Jehoash's rule among the priests is they've gotten settled to that they have gotten settled to the idea that they don't have quite enough money to do what they ought to be doing nor do they have the unction to get it done they're inefficient and it's sort of just kind of settled into that well this is just the way things are We have a tendency to do that if you got some stuff around your house that ought to be repaired but because you've been walking by it for so many months or years you just don't see it anymore you bring some fresh set of eyes and they might ask you about it uh, what you doing in here <laughs> why not fix this guess we just hadn't got around to it no really what it is you just gotten accustomed to it you've just gotten used to it and a church can get that way we can get that way financially and we can get that way in our ministries and even in our facilities and all those 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 things may happen we cannot get accustomed to that we can't get used to that we have to move forward so the Lord had made provisions for the funding of the temple there's no way the Lord had not provided resources he had already provided resources from the people of Israel even before they got into the land you remember this Moses God instructed Moses to assess the giving when the people were in the desert I'm talking about a period in time where God had to provide their food and God had to provide their water it's not like they have jobs they're in the desert What, what kind of job do you get in the desert when you have to rely on God for your food and for your water and that your clothing wouldn't uh, run bare. But you know what? God assessed them at that time. You know how he did it? From the Egyptians who said, as the people of Israel were leaving, here, take this, take this, take this, take this. And you wonder why in the world would they need all of that in the desert? I'll tell you why. God was already preparing them to be able to give in a very generous way for what was coming part of that was the temple and so the assessment came actually from the from the days in the in the wilderness from the years in the wilderness and God wanted that to be brought about for his own his own uh, place so here's here's a census tax that God had instituted while they were in the wilderness Uh, it would be a half shekel at the time of Jehoash it would be a half shekel for anybody 20 years old or older And as you come, you bring your half shekel and it will go to provide for the refurbishing that is needed over time. It would be a vow that had been made for work to be done and you decided you didn't want to do the work or something else came up and you couldn't do the work so you would pay for somebody else to do it. For instance, a little gloomy outside, a little rainy outside and you're an outdoor greeter and that's the role that you've been assigned and you decide today, I really don't know that I want to fulfill that obligation. What would it take for somebody else to do that? It's 125 bucks, And you shell out 125 bucks for somebody else to do the service that you had said you would do. That's that's what they're talking about there. I was trying to think of something that uh, maybe wouldn't include all of you, but if anybody wants to give $125, bucks, we are all for it. But anyway, we want you to fulfill your vows of service, no doubt, but you could get out of fulfilling the vow of service if you paid somebody else to do it. And that was a way that they would raise up money to make sure the repairs of the temple were done. And the third is just somebody came in and they said, you know, I really want to see this thing repaired. Let me just give some money. And they gave it out of their heart. Those were the three ways that God had instituted for the temple repairs to be done. And he spoke it through the king. The king told the priest, here's what you do. You collect this resource and then get the work done. But 23 years later, the work's not done. I shouldn't say 23 years later. We don't actually know when Jehoash instructed them to do that we don't know what year in his reign he instructed them to do that all we know is in the 23rd of year his reign he's like why haven't you done this should already been done I mean if you will we'll put it in our terminology it would be like us having harvest offerings which we have and we have monthly giving for 36 months which we have and then there not be anything done out there and you and I would be saying, Why are we not doing anything? And Jehoash was saying that very thing. So, two things would re- be required if this thing's going to be accomplished. Number one, the people are going to have to be willing to give, and the priests are going to have to have enough unction to do it, enough willingness and enough efficiency to get it done in good stewardship. But they didn't. So, he comes up with plan B. They didn't seem to have the sense of urgency that the king had. Isn't that the way ministry can kind of go to? Where we just kind of get okay with things being mediocre? Where we just kind of get okay with things not being fully accomplished to the glory of God? But somebody moved by the Spirit of God ought to say, let's don't keep doing that let's do something different let's do something better let's do something more glorious let's do something more honorable let's do this and the king said let's do this let's do a plan b and so he said no more of this collecting money by you guys and no more of me waiting on y'all to get it done we're going to do it differently and he had the chief priest Jehoiada come and put a chest there before the people and as you'll read in just a moment that chest brought in more than enough resources to take care of what needed to be taken care of i'm just grateful that uh, meadowbrook is a different kind of church uh, we don't do bake sales we don't do yard sales we don't do rummage sales we don't try to raise money selling donuts want to try to raise money doing this or that we trust that god has called us to a mission and a ministry that is eternally significant and that God has given us the people whose hearts are conditioned to give for the joy of giving, and that's where we land. I'm not trying to raise up money. We believe God's people has the money that God wants them to have, and if they'll be good managers of that, all the missions and all the ministry and all the buildings will be taken care of. And so we have boxes at the doors, and you come and you go and you put your resources in the boxes, or we have mbchurch.com forward slash giving and you give online or you set it up so that you do auto draft or in due time we will have collection plates that get passed around to us and you will give and and most of the time i don't even have to encourage the giving people just do it because their heart is conditioned to do it and they believe in the mission and the call of meadowbrook and the purposes of meadowbrook and i'm grateful for that but here's what uh, jehoash has to do in verse 9 Jehoiada the priest took the chest and bored a hole in the lid of it and set it beside the altar at the right side as one entered the house of the Lord. And the priest who guarded the threshold put put in it all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. And whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's secretary and the high priest came up and they bagged and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. And then they would give the money that was weighed out into the hands of the workmen who had the oversight of the house of the lord they didn't ask for an accounting for the men whose hands they had delivered the money to pay out to the workers for those uh, they dealt honestly the money from the guilt offering and the money for the sin offering was not brought into the house of the lord it belonged to the priests. so there at the end it's like hey not only did the mission get accomplished but the priests were taken care of as well our ministries don't have to come at the cost of the people that are ministering to us. So we've built a building and we've not trimmed anybody's salary down. We've built the building, we've not cut anybody's mission support. We've built the building and uh, it's continuing to be built and the ministries are flourishing. And and I think that's a good way and a good healthy way for us to do that. That's what Jehoash is doing. He's, He's saying the priest will get paid and the job will be accomplished, which helps me to come to this conclusion that faithful people eagerly give providing the means for ministry and ministers so you can get a good sense of the attitude of the people in their giving in second chronicles it says all the princes that is all the leaders and all the people rejoiced with this giving and they brought their tax and dropped it into the chest until they had finished now i'm good with that verse how about you except that one word right there kind of throws me off a little bit Because when you and I read the word tax, we're thinking, ugh. But it's not like that for them. This is a levy, that half-shekel levy that is coming into the house of God, the very place where the people are worshiping God and they love the collection of the saints they love the gathering of the saints they love the worship that happens when people are gathering they love the ministry that takes place there in that place so even though it's called a tax the people were overjoyed to give to it because they were so given to what God had called them to do and worshiping to worship and to do so joyfully in the place that would be restored and so many people at Meadowbrook have the same kind of attitude You love the Lord Jesus. You love to worship Jesus. You love the gathering of the saints. And you love when we are filled with joy to worship together, to gather together, to have instruction together, and to encourage each other together. And so you have given. I hope you don't feel like I've twisted your arms in any way that you would give for the building. I've wanted to encourage you in that. I haven't asked you to do anything that Kay and I have not already done and continuing to do. And you have given for the fact that you love the gathering of the saints you love the worship that happens and you love the proclamation of his word and i am thoroughly grateful every week meadowbrook provides opportunity for us to give and it ought not be a drudgery it ought to be with joy that we say oh lord that you give us the opportunity to give in ways that we can be part of the rebuilding or the the building of a new structure or part of the mission around the world a part of the ministry that takes place here so i encourage us to give with the right joyful heart that's conditioned unto worship to god and just give generously as uh, god has placed that generosity in you it's really out of inspiration of joash's chest that we are collecting a chest of joash offering today now i'm just going to be out front and say to this joash didn't ask anybody to go into your jewelry uh, boxes and pull out old jewelry he didn't ask anybody rummage around and find some old gold coins or silver this or silver that That, joash didn't do that it was just a place where people were coming to worship they would drop the resources off and all the resources were used for the refurbishing the building by inspiration only we've told you hey if you have some stuff some gold, some necklaces, some earrings, some rings, some gold coins. Maybe you've got something you think is of value and you have no sentimental attachment to it, or maybe you do, and you say, I'd like to gather that resource and bring it. I want that to go towards the building. Chester Joash inspires us to give you opportunity to do that. So Kay and I brought our little gold bag. It was a sandwich bag that had been sitting in a box for a while, and we were saying over a number of years, what are we going to ever do with that? we talked about having it melted down and and cashing in uh, but we've determined that we're giving all of that to uh, the building and to Meadowbrook so I'd already mentioned that uh, they quoted that at like $1,850 so I took it in today we gave it this morning Kay brought it in we gave it to them this morning said hey you've added some to this bag I said oh I don't think so and Kay said yeah you put your class ring in there had a class ring from my when I graduated seminary and put it in there. And he said, that's another $350-some-odd. I don't even think we spent $350 for the ring when we bought it. But that's what you get when the gold value is over $1,800 an ounce right now. So we're going to be able to give another $2,200 or so today uh, just by what we had set aside and said, what are we going to ever do with that? that? That inspires me. We have already given sacrificial. We will continue to give sacrificial. We have more to give. And we're eager to do so but that little ziploc bag sandwich bag now is part of that building and just inspired by the idea that God wants to take what we would consider is just set aside and bring it into something that's gonna have eternal value maybe you have some of that if you do and you want to give it then we have that available for you today in fact there's a little minor bags that are over there And uh, you can just put whatever you have at home or maybe you brought it today you can put it in there with your name and your phone number over there seal it because once this is open it's obvious that it's been opened and uh, you'll have the full opportunity to give that if you maybe have some things that you think well I can't give all of that maybe you want it appraised and you'll give a portion of it whatever you're comfortable with Uh, I want you to have opportunity to, to do that you know more than anything more than the money that Kay and I have given and you've given more than the gold or whatever it is that you're giving God is most interested in our heart now that stuff's important because workmen need to be paid and we're spending a lot of money on workmen we're spending a lot of money on materials they ought to be paid but really what God is after is our heart it would be crazy for us to have that multi-million dollar project complete and not say oh God work in my heart that place is important this place our heart is essential and god is wanting to work in our heart the first place he starts in your heart is for you to surrender all of yourself to him yield your life to him deny yourself and follow after christ pursue his righteousness let him give you righteousness and then pursue that righteousness lord i pray even now that as you have spoken to us and challenged us that our heart would be given to you there would be nothing in our life that would not be yielded to you i surrender all to you and i pray that every person hearing my voice even now will do the same surrender all to you and the evidence of that would be in our relationship with you and the life in which we live with you and others i pray that you would help us to live such a glorious way with the newness of life in christ in the name of Jesus.